uh, could be an issue. William, thanks very much indeed. Have a happy new year. That's uh, Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And over in the markets, a lot of movement in Japan. The Nikkei 225 is up almost 1% now. Uh, so is the ASX 200 over in Australia. In South Korea, the Cosby is up about three quarters of a percent. Futures markets indicating that the Hang Seng is going to add about 300 points at the open in an hour's time. In the currency markets, the US dollar is trading at 110 now um, against, the, uh, against the Japanese yen. And in the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is trading at $64.00 and 20 cents a barrel and gold right now is at $1,544 an ounce that's it from Money Talk this morning do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock the weather forecast mainly fine maximum temperature is going to be about 21 degrees and it's going to be mainly cloudy in the next couple of days windier tomorrow temperature right now is 18 degrees and it's 79% relative humidity it's 8.31 here's Samantha Butler with the half hour news a BBC investigation has confirmed that thousands of Muslims from Kazakhstan are missing after being detained over the border in China. One Kazakh woman has told how she was held on the mainland. Here's the BBC's Claire Press. For 15 months, Golzira, a Kazakh Muslim, was detained in a Chinese detention camp. She describes being forced to receive unknown injections, being chained to an iron chair, being shocked by an electric stick whilst going to the toilet and made to sign documents she didn't understand. Even when she was finally told she was going to be freed, her nightmare was not over. For months, Golzira was made to sew gloves in a factory, working long hours for little to no pay, before she was finally released and sent home. Mainland authorities have told the BBC that all students of what Beijing calls re-education camps have graduated and been found work. The United States Treasury Department says it will no longer label China a currency manipulator. The announcement comes just two days before China and the U.S. are to sign a preliminary agreement designed to ease trade tensions. Here's the BBC's Peter Bowes in Washington. The U.S. officially labelled China a currency manipulator last summer, sending stock markets down. The Treasury Department said it was a response to China devaluing its currency, leaving it at its weakest level against the dollar in over 11 years. President Trump said it was designed to steal American business and factories. But since then, the U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin says China has made enforceable commitments to refrain from currency devaluation to gain a competitive advantage. Mr Mnuchin added that the trade deal to be signed on Wednesday would lead to greater economic growth and opportunity for American workers and businesses. Civic Party member Audrey Yu says she's disappointed the issue of alleged police brutality towards protesters wasn't addressed at yesterday's opening of the legal year. The ongoing unrest was a major theme at the ceremony. Ms Yu, the former chair of the Bar Association, welcomed comments from Chief Justice Jeffrey Ma emphasising the importance of a fair trial and that no one was above the law, but said police violating regulations should have been addressed. None of the four speeches actually emphasised the major difficulty that is facing Hong Kong today, and that's if you look at many of the foreign and international NGOs and press and so on, they will emphasize the question of police brutality in every day. I mean, you can see from many video clips and so on that police have been beating up arrested people even after they have arrested them and pressed them to the floor. And these are matters that clearly should be 
commented upon on the opening of the legal year. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverson, your co-host today, Ada Wong. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. And we're talking today about the new legal year and the observations made yesterday by leading members of the judiciary in Hong Kong. The Chief Justice stressed that it's wrong to think that other people's rights or even the rights of the community as a whole should be regarded as less important than one's own. And he said that uh, to cope with a large number of recent cases more expeditiously, a task force had been operating and had been set up. The Secretary for Justice said that when unchecked acts of violence prevail, it will be rule of the mob, not rule of law. Chairman of the Bar Association, Philip Dykes, who's going to be joining us later on in the programme, said public interest plays a part in the decision to prosecute. While the head of the Law Society warned against the trap of infringing others' freedom in the pursuit of your own freedom. Well, what do you make of the statements by those leading figures? How is the law faring in 2020? Uh, let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or call us. And our telephone number is 233-88266. We'd very much like to hear from you. And uh, in the second part of the uh, programme, after about 9.20, we're talking about the Human Rights Watch chief uh, being denied entry uh, to Hong Kong. Uh, Legislator Junius Ho will be joining us uh, for that, along with the spokesperson from Hong Kong Human Rights Monitor. If you've got any thoughts on that, again, uh, drop us a line, bankchat.rthk.hk, or give us a call, 233-88266. We've got a couple of uh, emails already on on the issue of uh, Human Rights Watch uh, and a couple on uh, other issues just related to earlier discussions. Uh, just briefly then, uh, Richard says, or somebody who signs himself another Richard, says, this Richard says the earlier Richard should cease his war against RTHK as it's becoming boringly repetitive. I've been an RTHK listener since 1992. Backchat is one of the best programmes over all these days with a broad range of topics over the years and consistently interesting. My only criticism of RTHK is that a number of problems these days focus on the trivia of modern life, but then I redial to commercial radio Radio and just have music in the background. That comes from uh, another radio. I don't know what another Richard. I don't know what you mean, uh, Richard, by saying that Backchat is one of the best programmes overall these days. It's far and away the best. Thomas says, "Dear Backchat, Taiwan elections and the Hong Kong time factor today. One country, two systems is history for Taiwan. Taiwan's people had the opportunity to express their views on this idea. The recent elections have shown quite clearly what the Taiwanese think of the idea. Uh, the." Uh, Hong Kong people were not given a vote on one country, two systems, and apparently will not be given a vote on this in future. Uh, this, uh, In the eyes of Hong Kong authorities, everyone who ridicules the system is undermining the government. Subversion will carry a long prison sentence. This is the result of the so-called handover, namely handing over the people of Hong Kong to someone else. I call it modern human trafficking under cover of the rule of law. The promise of 50 years unchanged was anyway ridiculous. Uh, Hong Kong people... Uh, uh, Hong Kong City and its people cannot be frozen in a time warp. Uh, who can be surprised we have demonstrations in Hong Kong? Everyone now realises that time is of, effident, es, as a, a, is of essence because long before 2047 there will be no more demonstrations in Hong Kong. When did one hear the last time of demonstrations in China? Hong Kong is not even a trial case of one country, two systems. Hong Kong, in respect of democracy, is a 2047 basket case. The Taiwanese have understood all of that. That observation from Thomas relating to our discussion uh, yesterday 
today uh, about Taiwan. Joining us for today's uh, discussion of the uh, Hong Kong legal year, the past year and the uh, coming year, uh, we're joined now by Senior Counsel and uh, Civic Party member Alan Lung and uh, Suya Diva, Associate Professor in the School of Law at City University of Hong Kong and later, as I say, Philip Dykes will be joining us at, uh, after the news at nine. Uh, Alan Lung, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you much indeed for joining us. So we, you know, we My had pleasure. these speeches, as I say, by the by uh, Chief Justice, the Secretary for Justice, heads of the Bar Association and Law Society. From all those, what struck you? What do you think was important? What was the what was the message? Well, I think the Chief Justice uh, was very mindful of criticisms that uh, had been made against the judiciary for, number one, uh, dragging its feet and not uh, cooperative enough to uh, bring uh, order and peace uh, to Hong Kong. And he, I think, must be also mindful of uh, some criticisms from uh, especially pro-Beijing camp that uh, uh, judges were too lenient, uh, prosecutions were uh, delayed, and so I think it was mostly because of uh, his mindfulness of these uh, two matters that uh, he made the speech yesterday. Um, you obviously uh, are aware that the Chief Justice gave us a thesis on uh, what is justice and how justice should be administered uh, and also the importance of uh, fair trial. Uh, you you cannot uh, really, uh, for the sake of uh, speed, uh, or speedy disposition, you sacrifice uh, uh, the importance of due process uh, and the, the, the fairness of the trial, etc. And he also indicated that he would be setting up a task force to see how uh, the backlog of uh, prosecutions and uh, this movement-related cases could be dealt with by the judiciary. I think that explains it. The Secretary for Justice um, emphasized, uh, as we expected, uh, it is important for uh, people to respect the law. Uh, but it is, of course, uh, very... Uh, it, it, coming from her, uh, I, I think it doesn't come across too well because, you see, if you ask people to uh, respect the law, obey the law, you have to really convince us that the system is uh, doing what it uh, ought to be doing. Uh, for example, police brutality, right? Well, how do you deal with it? Uh, uh, it seems that agent provocateurs who were caught 
on camera and photographs, passing themselves off as protesters, were responsible for uh, some many criminal damage. And we saw our young people, demonstrators, uh, being unjustifiably, uh, brutally uh, assaulted. And why are you not doing things about it? And the backlog, uh, you are, we have now um, actually arrested, uh, I think, nearly 8,000 people. Seven, I think. 7,000? Yeah, 7,000 people, but only about 15 and certainly less than 20% uh, have been prosecuted. Uh, why is that? And uh, also uh, some comments coming from judges hearing those cases uh, really also call for uh, some response from the Secretary for Justice. For example, judges say, well, why are you not putting your house in order before you uh, bring the cases before us? Uh, some very elementary, fundamental matters like uh, having uh, obtained uh, some certificates from the Secretary for Justice, from the Department of Justice, before you can prosecute for uh, possession of ammunition charges, etc. So uh, I think the Secretary for Justice's speech, uh, while not unexpected, uh, is very, in a way, uh, disappointing. Uh, of course, Philip Dykes, who would be joining us uh, in about 16, 17 minutes' time, uh, his uh, speech uh, attracted some uh, controversy uh, because he was suggesting that, uh, in short, amnesty is possible. You don't have to uh, prosecute. Uh, each and every one of the 7,000 uh, cases. Uh, actually, we know that some uh, arrested were actually Kai Fongs <laughs> going down to the streets for, for some uh, uh, snacks before bed and was, they were arrested and indiscriminately attacked. Uh, so I think those are the main gist that I took away from the three speeches yesterday. Um, Alan, on the um, setting up of a task force um, to study how the Hong Kong courts can cope with the increased volume of cases, uh, what, what do you expect the task force can do? Uh, as the Chief Justice already hinted, one possibility is to have judges sitting longer hours uh, so that they could deal with more cases um, uh, so that is one thing. Another possibility, I think, maybe is to invite some retired uh, magistrates or judges to uh, sit so as to help uh, clear the backlog. But I, I would you support that? Well, insofar as. Uh, well, due process is observed and fair trial is uh, guaranteed. Uh, there will be no cutting of corners uh, and you will not, uh, at the, in the name of uh, speedy disposal, uh, you sacrifice the due process that I think is all right. But you, you really have to deal with the, uh, the accumulated uh, number of, of 
cases, uh, because you, you must have heard about uh, justice delayed is justice denied. So you can't uh, sit on it for too long. And also it really puts pressure on the Secretary for Justice to make up her mind as to whether she is really serious about prosecuting each and every one of those uh, uh, cases uh, of uh, arrestees, of people arrested. Uh, in fact, yesterday, Philip Dykes also highlighted the, the, the uh, fact that uh, in the criminal prosecution guidelines published by the, Sec the Department of Justice, uh, you have to have satisfied at least two very important tests before a criminal prosecution should go ahead. Number one is, of course, you have enough of evidence to uh, prove the charge and indictment beyond reasonable doubt. And secondly, that uh, the Secretary for Justice must be satisfied that uh, by bringing those prosecutions, it would be in the public interest to do so. All right. Uh, Surya Deva, good morning to you. Associate Professor in the School morning. of Law at City University, also co-host uh, occasionally on, uh, on Backchat. Good morning to you. Um, good uh, morning. Uh, and thanks for joining us once again. Uh, one common theme made by uh, quite a few of the speakers was this idea that, that uh, the people who think that they are fighting for the rule of law by breaking the law uh, are fooling themselves, that there is an inherent contradiction if you go out on the streets and smash things up or smash people up uh, in, in defence of, uh, of, of law, uh, you know, that doesn't make any sense at all. Do you, do you take that point? Do you agree with that? Do you recognise that? Yes, I mean, uh, I think we should understand what rule of law really means. So th there are formal conceptions, very strict, uh, just follow the law, what is there, and there is more fair and substantive conception of rule of law. And under the substantive conception of rule of law, uh, civil disobedience and protest is very much legitimate if the legal process and the laws are unfair or unjust. Uh, but I think the violence cannot be part of civil disobedience. So I think uh, the protest by people on the street can be justified uh, in defense of rule of law and they're totally in line with rule of law. But I think uh, it may not be possible to justify violence in those situations. So I think we, we need to make a distinction between that. Um, uh, what about um, uh, the, the fact that um, now we have many cases uh, apart from extending court hours and appointing more judges, um, yeah. what, what do you think uh, could be, um, you know, other solutions to cope with all these increased cases? I mean, the real issue here is that we don't have uh, a real law and order situation in Hong Kong. The real crisis that we have is a political crisis. It's a governance crisis that we have. So, of course, uh, we have about close to 7,000 case uh, people that have been arrested and uh, many of these or some of these at least may be prosecuted so the judicial system has to take cognizance of it and they may need additional resources and all this. But I think uh, for me the real crisis is that we have to uh, address the underlying causes of this governance crisis that 2019 saw in Hong Kong and unless the government is really serious about it, uh, the local government here as well as the, um, the Chinese authorities, including liaison office here. I think this structural issues, if they're not addressed, 
then the rule of law crisis in Hong Kong will continue. So, of course, uh, the judiciary here can uh, deal with uh, by taking some ad hoc uh, measures, whether it is extending the hours of the uh, court or hiring uh, retired magistrates. So these are ad hoc measures, but these cannot really respond to the underlying causes of the crisis that we have. And I think that's where the real issue is that the, the trust that has been lost by the government, the trust that has been lost by the police, the trust that uh, the Secretary for Justice and the Prosecution Department is losing very fast. I think the real issue is that how to regain this trust, in my view. But, but again, a common theme from the speakers was that the the law, lawyers and the legal process deals with the law and should deal uh, only with the law, though Philip Dykes talked about public interest. Uh, um, do, do you think that uh, the judicial system has succeeded? Do you think the judicial system is in good shape? That it has managed to, you know, stick to uh, stick to the law and, and avoid uh, partisanship? I think judges are generally trained uh, to deal with those difficult situations and normally in Hong Kong I think they have been able to deal with those situations in an impartial manner. But I think we have to understand that the judges and the court system and judiciary is part of society. So it needs that support system from outside. So judges should not be attacked from either side for whatever they decide. Uh, there should be uh, impartial hiring processes. There should not be any criticism from uh, Chinese authorities because there have been instances where judges are being uh, facing criticism from all corners, you know, whether these are from some protesters, whether these are from uh, the Chinese authorities there. So I think the, the crucial point is judges can do their job, but I think we should allow them to do, do their job. And if there are those criticisms coming, there are those uh, trials taking place through social media, I think that's just not going to undermine the whole system. If I, if I may echo what uh, the good professor just said, uh, this problem that Hong Kong is facing or the crisis that we are going through is by nature and uh, in essence a political question. And a political question can only be dealt with and resolved by political means. Judges are not politically appointed. They are not political appointees. And judges, of course, uh, they, they are humans. Uh, they are not robots. They are not machines. So you, 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 if you, however impartial a judge may be, however independent a judge may be, Different judges presented with a situation, presented with a case, may decide according to his or her own uh, um, uh, uh, perception uh, and understanding of legal principles. Now, if you put 7,000 cases before judges, I'm sure that there would be some decisions that would disappoint uh, one or the other camp of a split society uh, and the political uh, uh, divide. I, I, I mean, so that means that if you haunt us, if that means that if you smash up 
uh, traffic lights or something like that or injure another person, you should just be, you should be prosecuted and you should be considered a criminal just like any other criminal. Well, I think my... First, first of all, if I may just come, come, come in very shortly. Uh, you see, whether to prosecute, as I already uh, alluded to, and also Philip Dykes highlighted yesterday in his speech, we have to satisfy two uh, uh, elements. And the second element is whether it is in public interest to uh, prosecute. But the fundamental question, as Professor Deva just said, well, was... Well, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that... How do you mean? <laughs> well, you, you, you can't say there should be no political consideration and then say, well, yeah, but, but then the, you have to talk about a public interest. No, 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 no. I'm talking about political cons consideration uh, on the part of the government and represented uh, by the Secretary for Justice. You see, that, that is why there are the two elements in the guidelines uh, uh, published by the DPP. Uh, when it comes to the judges, of course, judges would decide everything according to the law. And that is it. Uh, and I, I, but you, if you keep putting judges to the test, so to speak, individual judges may take a, the same situation or the same case and conclude differently. That is possible because they... they <laughs> They're, they're, if, if not talking about anything else, you talk about sentencing, right? There is always a a uh, a, con, a a uh, a a range uh, of uh, of uh, seriousness but, in but, the penalties. But doesn't it make sense when it comes to prosecution decisions? When you have a <laughs> when you have a a large scale public order issue like we've obviously had blatant blatantly had over the last seven months that um that you know trying to stop that has to be a consideration that has to be a consideration within each for the secretary of justice within each decision whether or not to prosecute yes yes of course you're right uh so uh, that's why it is important uh maybe that we can ask philip dykes <laughs> later on uh, that may underlie the, the chairman's suggestion that a good part or even a majority part of uh, uh, of those arrested uh, really ought not to be prosecuted. And, and that will... Well, you could come to the opposite conclusion. You could say that because there is widespread public order disorder, um, you have to uh, lean on the side of prosecuting more people. And when it comes to sentencing as well, uh, you have to consider the deterrent effect. But will that help if, if, if uh, the, the political uh, uh, problem or issue is not resolved? Well, that will not help. Yeah, perhaps you can let uh, Professor Diva uh, say, say. Thank you. Well, I, I think I would uh, just add a little bit uh, what uh, Alan Ling was saying. Uh, three points I would like to make. First issue is about selectivity. I think when we are talking about a breach of legal uh, rules and regulations, I think uh, the prosecution department, security for justice, or the entire system that we have cannot be selective. So what we see here is that the violence, I would say, by the police, because if you are not using force as per the regulations and the process, then it is not longer a force. It becomes violence in my view. So the violence on the part of the police, as well as violence on the part of uh, some sections of society who have attacked the protesters, that have not been dealt with. 
So this selectivity in prosecution is problematic. That is first point. The second is that we should understand this public interest point carefully with what Flick Dykes was making yesterday and what, what is um, also mentioned here by Alan. We have to understand that what public interest will be served by prosecuting, let us say, 2,000 people or even all 7,000 people here. And some of these are very young protesters. And even if they have done some uh, violent activities, you have to look at the wider context within which that violence was done. What triggered it? Uh, whether it is a chief executive response or the lack of response that has contributed. Can't you do that when it comes to sentencing? Can't you be lenient when it comes to sentencing? If they've done the crime, they should be prosecuted. I think there but, are... But when it comes these to... Are the, I think these are considerations at all stages. So why, why should the government take through these people through the entire process because prosecuting someone is not a very uh, pleasant exercise, I mean, for any party. And that's why, of course, at the sentencing stage, if there are some serious crimes that can be uh, taken into account sentencing point. And my third point is about this, uh, the whole issue of uh, resolving this crisis. So it could be very much in line with rule of law if the government comes up with a proposal that, okay, we are going to provide some kind of... Uh, let us say, non-prosecution for most of the young offenders. And we are going to provide uh, lenient, uh, let us say, community orders for some others, you know. So if you can propose this as part of a package, we are dealing with here a crisis. How can Hong Kong as a society move on from okay. this crisis? All right. Well, Suyadeva, thank you very much indeed for joining us from uh, the City University uh, School of Law. We'll continue this conversation after the news at nine, in three minutes, the weather first, maximum temperature today, uh, 21 degrees, it's going to be mainly fine. 18 degrees, the latest readings, and the relative humidity is now at 80%. We see that all students of what Beijing calls re-education camps have graduated and been found work. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Bank Chat on a Tuesday morning with Ada Wong and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about the uh, Hong Kong uh, legal new year uh, with those uh, key speeches uh, yesterday by members of the uh, judiciary, the Secretary for Justice, the Chief Justice and the heads of the Bar Association and the uh, Law Society. Uh, what do you think? Uh, we want to hear your uh, comments, your response. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk. We'll read out your comments. Or you can comment on our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio 3. Or you can give us a call, 233 Eight eight two six six. Later, we're going to also going to be talking about that uh, decision not to allow the head of a human rights watch to uh, come into Hong Kong. Junius Ho joining us for that uh, portion. Uh, again, if you want to talk to him uh, or talk on that topic uh, to the people of Hong Kong, then uh, give us a call two three three eight eight two six six. We'll also be talking to someone from Human Rights Monitor. Joining us now, uh, we have Alan Lung, a senior counsel with the uh, a senior counsellor and uh, also a member of the Civic Party. And uh, we're also joined now by the chairman of the Hong Kong Bar Association, uh, Philip Dykes. If you want to talk to him, uh, pick up the phone, 233-88266. Um, OK, here's some uh, comment uh, from listeners. Uh, Mike says, The speaker's slow, deliberate presentation reminds me of lawyers speaking in court when the judge has to write everything down. Get with it and say what you want to say quickly. We can process it. 
Uh, and uh, Bowen says, Dear Backchat, in her speech at the opening of the new legal year yesterday, Theresa Chang referred to the danger of the rule of mob replacing the rule of law. The irony is that when the police brutalise people who have already been brought under control, when they shoot canisters of tear gas at people attending lawful marches who are behaving peacefully, when they shoot rubber bullets at people in their face, the police constitute the mob. That comes uh, from uh, Bowen. And uh, Drake says, while I respect Chief Justice Jeffrey Marr's reassurance on fair trial and the rule of law, I must sadly point out that the courts can only do as much as the courts could do. Uh, if he looked beyond the courtroom, he would not be surprised to find on multiple occasions police officers protesting pro-government attackers then set them free on the spot. When the police do not execute their duty fairly, the Department of Justice can't process with enough evidence. When the DOJ don't have a case, the courts can't do anything about it either. Uh, for instance, the organic farmer who went straight up the live streaming camera and attacked the Stan News reporter in Yun Long isn't arrested. Justice Ma could guarantee that everyone being brought to the court would receive fair trial. Judges are powerless as to who is being brought before the court. Uh, in that case, we might not have rule of law uh, after all. That comes uh, from Drake. Uh, and a comment on our Facebook page. Um, Mr Dykes, you want to, might want to respond to this. Uh, Darren on our Facebook says, What is the biggest threat to the rule of law? Is it when Philip Dykes... When Philip Dykes' judge says statements about even if there is evidence from the police to prosecute, in the main, good character people who have been charged should be looked at differently, not as lawbreakers. If that is the case, where do we draw the line? So that comes from, from Darren. M Mr Dykes, there seemed to be a kind of a big difference in... Uh, in uh, your speech compared to the, the other people, the other people were very keen to kind of stress the impartiality uh, of uh, the legal process and how uh, the, uh, the law law should consider the law and nothing but the law. Uh, uh, but you drag in the public interest. Um, do you think, do you feel you're kind of out of step uh, somewhat? That's part of the um, domain of the Secretary of Justice. Uh, it's question as to who should be prosecuted and for what offences is one that takes into account the public interest. And it's the fact that every, for every case that, that is uh, thought to be evidence that you take a case to court, there does not have to be a prosecution. It would, if you were to prosecute in every case where there is evidence to support a prosecution, you'd have an admittedly hard regime. That's why the courts emphasize that the first step is to see whether or not there is enough evidence to prosecute. The second step is to assess what is the public interest and whether or not prosecution is wanted in those particular, in those particular cases. So I'm saying nothing different from what the Secretary of Justice uh, would say herself. Indeed, her policy on public interest is explained that prosecution code on, prosecu on taking action in prosecutions. So there's nothing in there. So uh, are you thinking about, um, you know, amnesty or binding no, over? Or? No, I'm not, not thinking about amnesty. Every case where there is sufficient evidence to bring a case before court, the question is, do I have to bring the case before court? Is there a good reason not to do so? That's part of every decision to prosecute so could some binding over situation be considered? Yeah, that, that, that's 
That's an alternative to um, proceeding with a full prosecution, certainly. A caution, binding over, no action at all. Um, you, you mentioned that um, you know those who have committed non-violent crimes. So you you're probably just thinking about unlawful assembly or, or similar charges. Yes, they will probably make it the bulk of the uh, the cases that uh, have been uh, subject of arrest, and it would be for the Department of Justice to decide whether or not it's in their public interest to proceed only in the, uh, when, when the only uh, evidence in the case uh, for that offence, nothing more. You, you say of those people who have been charged with with lesser public order offences, incredibly sweeping statement. Uh, they are all of them in the main of good character. Uh, first of all, is that relevant? And second of all, how on earth do you know whether they're of good character or not? I didn't say all of them are good character. I said they all are all of them, them in the main of good character. Of good character. Well, that's that's a very sweeping assessment. And also, what does it matter whether they're of good character or not? If you look at the prosecution guide to uh, uh, proceeding with the prosecution, whether or not a person has a previous record, it might be something taken into account. What, when it comes to a prosecution? Yes. Is that... Is that written down somewhere? Sorry, that's um, written down. You you will find it in the prosecution code. You, you hardly regard the person's character and antecedents. So a whole variety of matters that are taken into account, including a, a person's background and character. It doesn't, it doesn't say people in many cases, but it's something that can be taken into account. Okay, some uh, comments now, uh, Alan Lung, you might want to respond to. First of all, this is from uh, a comment from Toby, who is a policeman, a serving policeman. Toby says, uh, Alan Lung, as a lawyer, should know that there are only allegations of wrongdoing by police officers. He cannot state that the police have been responsible for brutality without evidence and a trial. Second, he made unsubstantiated claims that we had agents provocateurs who were caught committing acts of criminal damage. We sent undercover officers to observe and take enforcement action we do not send officers to commit any crimes. Where is his evidence of this? Or is he simply putting his interpretation in a video clip and deciding that his biased point of view is supported by what he wants to see? That comes from Toby. Mr Lang? Well, Policeman Toby should support the establishment of a COI, a committee commission of inquiry, so that everything can be looked at in uh, detail. Uh, but uh, I, I really could, would want to come back on, on one or two points. Number one is that, uh, where, well, although I do not know personally each and every one of those 7,000 who have been arrested, but at least we can be sure a good majority of those were not committing the so-called crimes for personal gain or selfish interests. It is for public good. Now, I, I, say, I think the good chairman mentioned about the, the prosecution code. that simply doesn't matter. It simply doesn't matter why they did it. Why is that? And you, you say so-called crimes. Well, I mean, if, you know, there, there are laws. <laughs> and if you they break, are, of course, if laws. If you break the law, you're a criminal. Yeah, before Louis XVI and uh, his queen were guillotined here, uh, the protesters... Uh, 
uh, had committed the French laws. Now, law can do and courts can do just so much that they can. But this is in essence and in gist a political problem, and it has to be resolved politically. And also, secondly, if I may make the point that if you say the rule of law simply means everybody obeys the law, period, full stop, that is of course wrong. All law students who have studied jurisprudence will know that that is not the all of the concept and spirit of the rule of law. We use our laws to protect individual rights and freedoms and to keep public powers under check here. And we... we of course, would uh, not want people to resort to violence to to solve problems. But you have to do something in the political system, in the institutions, to make resort to violence not necessary. You see, and this burden falls on those who are in power. And, and that, that is really the gist of it. When you, when you ask people to obey the law, when, but you are breaching the law. I mean, you meaning the, 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 those in, in power, vested with political power. You breach the law every day, right? By not, by not prosecuting uh, com- police officers who had committed, maybe, committed, may have committed well, well, of brutality. Course. I mean, obviously it cuts both ways, and everybody sort of has been saying that, or, or some people have been saying that, most people have been saying that perhaps. Uh, and you have to, and so when you talk about public interest or good character or previous convictions or their motivation or they're doing it for the public good, that these things, when it comes to the judicial process, should not be a consideration, should not be the part of the of weighing up whether if somebody breaks the law, they break the law and they get, they get a, an appropriate punishment. Well, that's why Philip Dykes, our chairman, is suggesting that perhaps the Department of Justice could consider not bringing those cases before our judges. That is one way of dealing with it. Because that is one way that uh, those vested with political power can be seen to begin to start to solve this political problem. All right, problem. Here's, here's an email from Andrew who says, I presume Alan has some evidence that the people smashing up shops, vandalising public property, destroying traffic lights and torching MTR stations, etc., are, quote, agent provocateurs and not protesters. I've heard him and others, such as Claudia Moe and Alvin Young, repeatedly suggest that undercover police are actually the real culprits here. So, Alan, it was the police or agents acting for the government that burned themselves with acid. It was the police throwing petrol bombs at themselves. It was the police that stove that man's head in with a drain cover and set another alight. It was the police spraying people's faces with black paint before punching and kicking them unconscious behind a shield of umbrellas. Perhaps you need to adjust your tinfoil hat, Alan. It's so tight it's clearly cutting off the circulation to your head. That's actually by far the most (laughs) charitable explanation I can come up with for the way that you continue to stoke and add fire to this hatred. That comes uh, from Andrew. Well, have and has Andrew seen clips of a an Argent provocateur, undercover policeman, being sprayed by pepper spray, and and the sprayer only stopped upon this Argent provocateur showing the the police uh, uh, pass. Right? Has Andrew seen and heard uh, on another occasion? Uh, a, a an Ashram provocateur 
being gagged in 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 the neck, uh, and only his colleagues called out to uh, <laughs> those riot police that they they were uh, policemen that uh, the riot police stopped. Right? These are also evidence available in the public domain, Andrew. All right, uh, Philip Dykes, what, what do you think of this uh, proposal to uh, extend the uh, seating, the, the sitting sessions for uh, for judges to deal with this backlog? Because it is going to be very, very sizable, isn't it, of cases? Yeah, well, I, 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 as I said yesterday, I'm, I'm concerned about the resource implication for the recession. If the judiciary has to adopt extraordinary measures to uh, process these cases, clearly uh, my members would have to respond to that. It's something that I have thought about, and that's why I mentioned in my speech yesterday, because I can see that trials, if there are several thousand prosecutions, and they um, occur um, simultaneously, it will, it will, it will um, stretch uh, the demands on uh, my members who do such, uh, such work. Uh, my experience is that uh, public order cases like this with nine, ten defendants, if they all have a trial, you know, lots of video evidence, may take four weeks. And here you're talking about potentially thousands of, pro uh, of prosecutions. That's why I said, does the public interest require 7,000 prosecutions? Even if there is evidence that um, people have been guilty of offences. So, so it's a stretch, stretch into through two, three, four years. So at which and, point of time should the um, Secretary for Justice consider um, public interest or, you know, other things that you have mentioned? Uh, right now yeah. or in a couple of months? And well, she had a thought that uh, by now the prosecution arm of the Department of Justice would have a rough idea of the scope of uh, things to come in terms of uh, what kinds of prosecutions there will be and uh, whether they'll be confined to single, simple cases that they know with magistrates or they may need more serious cases which will be transferred to the district court or even exceptionally to the high court. Well, these things take some time. They clearly do. And as I say, it has resource implications for the judiciary, the bar and law society, and the, uh, the prosecutors within the Department of Justice himself, is, itself. Okay. Um, Elliot, in an email, says, On the matter of not prosecuting some people in the public interest, I think this approach should be used for most of the people who have been arrested for the public order offence of illegal assembly. This offence is so wide-ranging and leaves so much discretion in the hands of the police that one could argue that any prosecution under this offence undermines public confidence in the rule of law itself. New Year's Day was a classic example of this. The police had to give permission for the march, and at their own discretion they revoked that permission in the middle of the march because of the vandalism of an HSBC branch in Wan Chai. The point is that just because the law is on the books does not mean that it is, one, a moral law, and two, that it should be uh, enforced. That comes uh, from uh, Elliot. And uh, Toby uh, says to uh, Alan Lung, so Lung cannot or will not answer my uh, questions. Fine. Uh, also, criminal acts of violence and damage are committed for the public good. The 
That is pathetic and shows his perverted train of thought. That comes uh, from uh, Toby and Drake, says uh, Policeman Toby. Uh, an arrestee being dragged on the floor like a dead body by one officer was stomped on the head by another officer, bringing him to a stop. In no circumstances could the stomping be justified. A man is dragged out of his car and arrested for playing protest music. We have piles after piles of evidence on that regard, but the court could do nothing about them if the police do not hand these cases to the DOJ. Uh, and uh, Mike, I think referring to our earlier guest, said the professor has some conflict in his ability to weigh in on the subject. If he comes down hard on the protesters, he will be attacked in class. Guaranteed, do the crime, do the time. Or turn into San Francisco. No arrests for criminal activity. That observation uh, from Mike. Well, uh, we're out of time here. Oh, just a couple of uh, a couple more comments. Uh, one more. This is from Mark Pinkston, who says Alan Lung says the current turmoil is a political matter, not a criminal one. When people go smashing windows and people, they are criminal activities and not political issues. The reason for their wanton destruction should not be politicised. That comes uh, from Mark, as the same Mark Pinkston. Well, thank you very much indeed to our guests uh, this morning, to uh, Alan Lung, a senior counsel uh, with the Civic Party, and to uh, Philip Dykes, chairman of the Hong Kong Bar Association. Um, thank you very much indeed for, for uh, joining us uh, this morning. And thank you all to those who uh, commented by email uh, as well. Uh, finally today, we wanted to turn, as uh, mentioned, to the decision uh, by the immigration authorities not to allow the uh, chief of uh, Human Rights Watch uh, to uh, enter Hong Kong uh, last week. This this was uh, uh, for comment. We're joined now by uh, legislator uh, Junius Ho. Mr. Ho, good morning to you. Good morning. Hi, thank you very much indeed for 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 joining us today. Do you think that was the right decision? Well, I I don't know uh, the particular backgrounds of this case. Uh, certainly, um, Hong Kong is an open society. Welcome everybody coming to the town to do the proper business and proper uh, with the proper purpose. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm quite sure the um, immigration department is charged with duty to um, to uh, uh, screen individuals' uh, application coming over to Hong Kong. Uh, we, we, we do handle, you know, more than 15 million um, entries of tourists coming to town uh, uh, last year. Obviously, this year has uh, dramatically cut down due to the, um, I, I mean, the, the year before last year. Um, in, in 2019, uh, things have already turned bad. Uh, now, coming to this gentleman, um, Mr. Kenneth Roth, I, I, I don't think too many people know him too well. Uh, why he should be denied, we, I, I don't really know too much. Certainly, um, the Immigration Department is, as I said, charged with the mission and the duty. And they also have the discretion to allow people coming in. But allow me to say one thing. Um, uh, it is entirely at their discretion. They, they, are, they are professionally trained to do the job. And diplomacy and also the national defense issues are still with the CPG. Hong Kong SAR is charged and delegated with all and power uh, to, to admit the entry of any person into, into Hong Kong, so long as all these individuals are not coming over to cause trouble or cause embarrassment in Hong Kong. Um, Juniors, uh, I understand yes. that the Immigration Department um, gave uh, did not really give a reason uh, to Kenneth Roth um, on rejecting him entry. Uh, 
uh, I, I'm just looking at um, you know Roth, who, who, who said that despite my probing, the Hong Kong immigration authorities would say only and repeatedly that they were barring me for immigration reasons. Yeah. Um, is that a bit vague? Uh, should um, our government department tell people exactly you know, why um, they were not allowed in? Maybe vague. Uh, I, I, as I said, I do not know the particular details of this individual case too well. I just, I just want to comment on things individually. Uh, uh, I, I, I just want to comment things on oh, generally. Uh, I, I believe um, the immigration department is not owing any duty uh, to explain the reason why any people are to be rejected from Hong Kong. Um, they are not as of right coming to Hong Kong. It is entirely a, 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 uh, a discretion. It's, it's a dip- dip- diplomatic a matter arrangement between countries for admitting any uh, citizens or residents from, from the other country into, uh, into, into another country. So uh, it, 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 it is not a rare occasion. Of course, uh, it does not happen um, uh, uh, to high-profile people, maybe, you know, um, too often. Uh, but coming back to um, another example, and that happened in November 2014, when Sir Richard uh, Ottaway, uh, the chairman of the Committee on Foreign Affairs, trying to come over to Hong Kong um, in purport of um, uh, supervising or reviewing the conduct or performance of the uh, Foreign Office, the Consul General in, in Hong Kong, at the sensitive times when we had the Occupy Central uh, way back in November 2014. And, and he and his fellow committee members were rejected and well, actually informed by the Chinese embassy before they're, they're coming over. So it, it is not a, a, a so-called um, um, uh, anything particular. You know, it applies to every country, including the states. You know, if someone says, I'm a Muslim, I'm going to, you know, I'm a big forum in, 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 in the state, which may cause trouble to, to other religious religions. And the State Department is fully entitled to reject this sort of the imminent uh, threat or the potential trouble that may be um, created or generated uh, uh, by this sort of form. So it's, it's one country's uh, own discretion. Uh, it, it has no obligation to explain uh, to anybody when, when they were rejected their entry. Uh, in in some countries, I would say even in many countries, this this uh, was portrayed very negatively. I mean, this did not make Hong Kong look good uh, in, in lots of places because this 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 person who's from a from an, a human rights NGO was coming into uh, Hong Kong to launch an international report and wasn't even allowed to enter, and he's been allowed to enter uh, in the past. So, in many respects, it didn't make us look good. Aren't you concerned about that? I do, and, and, and on balance, I also concerned about. I'm concerned about uh, with all the things you know that may be bad mouthing uh, um, Hong Kong and, and also China. So uh, um, uh, let's, uh, as I said, I do not know. Uh, I do not know too much about the particular background of this. But according to the report, it says um, this gentleman was about to come to Hong Kong to launch his report, as you state, and, and criticizing China for uh, undermining the uh, human rights, especially in Xinjiang area, then, then that, that aroused my interest. If that be the case, then why coming to Hong Kong? 
And armed with this sort of the um, adverse uh, comments in the first place, uh, if he could do it, you know, back in New York, he, he might just do it. But why coming to the the front front garden of China or the backyard of China? And I would I would think that you know, if commenting China uh, for undermining the human rights, especially in Xinjiang, if he dare, he, he should have gone to Xinjiang on the, right to that area. Uh, are you saying that people who criticise China shouldn't come to should not be allowed into Hong Kong? Uh, no, no, no. That's not my point. But. Uh, when, when, well, it's entirely up to the authority to assess the situation. But as I said, if anyone who just tried to badmouth China, as, as anyone who tried to uh, go, uh, try to go to America to badmouth America, and I think you know, people's treatment will be would be applied. Um, especially looking at this report, it says you know that China has been undermining the human rights. In fact, China has been doing, using the best her best endeavor in. In, in treating peoples with great humanity, and we, we, they are trying to even uh, kill off the property, you know, by 2021. So this is not a, a small issue, but why, why people just need picking on, hey, somebody's not doing something good enough at a particular uh, point, but ignoring the broad picture, what China has achieved thus far for the last 30 years. OK, well, a couple of comments uh, from uh, longish uh, emails from uh, listeners that were sent uh, uh, earlier. Uh, Kim says, Human Rights Watch is an advocacy of the almighty American empire, slapping labels on the perceived enemies of the US regime as authoritarian. For example, Michael Shifter, who was Human Rights Watch American America's Advisory Committee, directed the Latin American Caribbean program for the National Endowment for Democracy, whose former acting president, Alan Weinstein, admitted in 1991 that, quote, a lot of what we do today was done covertly 25 years ago by the CIA. In June 2014, Democracy Now! published an interview between Human Rights Watch attorney, Reed Brody, and Keen Batt, a representative for a number of scholars and activists who claim that Human Rights Watch is biased. In the interview, Bat noted that a fair number of advisers, staff and executives have held government positions prior to or after their tenure at Human Rights Watch. Just an extension of the empire and a convenient excuse to further US foreign policy uh, agenda. Human Rights Watch has also been criticised for hypocrisy by its unpaid interns and for gross bias and political partisanship by activists and scholars. Uh, Kenneth Roth, that's the man who was turned away, was paid uh, a whopping uh, 517,000 US dollars in 2014. What a sacrifice for a lawyer. And Norman says, Dear RTHK, isn't there a case to be made by Human Rights Watch that the US is undermining the international law system as well? The refusal of entry to Hong Kong makes Kenneth Roth a casualty of the US passing of the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act. I hope that Kenneth Roth's case also shines a light on the US government's visa refusal for the Iranian foreign minister last week week when he tried to visit and speak at the UN right after the US conducted the extrajudicial killing of General Qasem Soleimani by a drone strike. Uh, Kenneth Roth should also explain the Human Rights Watch double standard and why Human Rights Watch did not issue any condemnation on the targeted assassination of a foreign leader by the US, which constitutes an international war crime under international law. Human Rights Watch issued a statement only several days later when Trump threatened to attack cultural sites in Iran, which seemed to signal its agreement with targeted extrajudicial killings based on minority report star reasoning, but not with UNESCO cultural sites. That's observations from Norman. Thank you very much indeed. That, 
Thank you to uh, legislator Junius Ho uh, as well. Uh, Ada, many thanks to you. And uh, here's the weather just before we go. It's going to be mainly fine. Maximum temperature today about 21 degrees. Moderate easterly winds, occasionally fresh offshore. And the outlook is going to be mainly cloudy in the next couple of days. And it'll be windier tomorrow. 19 degrees, the latest readings. The relative humidity is now at 78%. Influenza is spread by droplets. To prevent influenza, you should open windows to maintain good indoor ventilation and observe personal and environmental hygiene. Always wash your hands. Cover your nose and mouth with tissue paper when sneezing or coughing. Wear a mask if you have symptoms of respiratory infection and see a doctor if symptoms persist or deteriorate. To protect yourself and family members, get vaccinated every year. To stay healthy, let's fight influenza together. 9.33, the news with Samantha Butler. The United States Treasury Department says it will no longer label China a currency manipulator. The announcement comes just two days before China and the U.S. are to sign a preliminary agreement designed to ease trade tensions. The former, bar, the former chair of the Bar Association and Civic Party member Audrey Yu says she's disappointed the issue of alleged police brutality towards protesters wasn't addressed at yesterday's opening of the legal year. The ongoing unrest was a major theme of the ceremony. And senior U.S. officials have handed the British government new intelligence challenging the U.K.'s belief that it can limit security risks from the use of Chinese technology in the new 5G telecommunications networks. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, interpreter of Beethoven. And by oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council, co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decipher what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. And good morning. Welcome to Tuesday. Phil Whelan back with you. Big thanks to James for brewing your mornings for the past few days. Danny Hicks and I have been golfing. So here we are again. Going to kick off after 10.30 with Jared Watt. Of course, more about fire-ravaged Australia. That plus all the other news that's fit to broadcast. And some great Australian music. Dr. Marin Pierce brings you this week's Eco Bit after 11.30. And Morris back with us for more business futurism after 12. And an extra thing today. Hong Kong's got a brand new comedy club. It's called The Riff. And it's opening this weekend. It's going to feature...